Hello, I'm Harry Glorickian, and this is The Harry Glorickian Show, where we explore how technology is changing everything we know about healthcare. Believe it or not, this is the 100th episode of the show. We started in the fall of 2018 with the idea of creating a show that would help listeners understand the intersection of biology and data, but make it entertaining as well as educational. And here we are at episode 100. A lot has happened between 2018 and today. For one thing, during the journey, we changed the name of the podcast. We started out under the name Moneyball Medicine, which was also the title of my 2017 book about the digital revolution in the healthcare and drug development businesses. Around episode 71, we decided to change the name of the show to The Harry Glorikian Show. That was part of a general broadening of how the show's focus to reflect the publication of my subsequent book, The Future You. Since then, I'd say the show has held on to its general focus on how technology is transforming healthcare, but with more of a focus on the ultimate impact on patients and other consumers. And for our 100th episode, we wanted to bring on a special guest. That's Phil Feeble who's the Chief Medical Officer at Illumina. This is Phil's second time on the show, and to be honest, I hope to have him back many times in the future because there aren't many companies having a broader impact on healthcare consumers right now than Illumina. The San Diego-based company is the leading maker of high-speed gene sequencing machines that are at the core of the precision medicine revolution, not to mention the sequencing of viruses. The company has an 80% market share in the market for gene sequencers, which means that if you or your loved one has had any sequencing done for any reason, chances are your samples were sequenced on an Illumina machine. For example, if you had a tumor biopsy and your doctor sent it in for DNA profiling to see which drug might be most effective against your form of cancer, then that sample too was probably sequenced on an Illumina machine. The point is, gene sequencing is already a key part of both diagnostics and treatment decisions for many diseases, and its use is only going to expand as the technology gets faster and cheaper. Recently, Illumina announced that it's coming out with a new gene sequencing machine called the NovaSeq X that can sequence a genome more than twice as fast as Illumina's previous top-of-the-line machine and at a lower cost. That's bound to speed up progress across the field of genetic medicine, drug discovery, and life science research. And that's where I started my conversation with Phil. Phil, welcome to the show. It's so, so great to have you back. I'm like, I was looking back at our, you know, conversation. It feels like not that long ago, but it was actually like, you know, in the early days of of COVID. Um, and, but so much has changed with you guys. I wanted, I wanted to have you back. Well, thanks, Harry. It, it does. It's kind of like that twilight zone. Is it, has it been a long time, a short time? Uh, time has lost its relevance in some ways. It's, it's been some time, Harry, and it's yes. great to be back with you. <laughs> Let's say that. No, this is great. But, and, you know, I was, I, I came to your event that you guys had in San Diego, which was a blast, um, you know, uh, great seeing, you know, tons of old friends, right, from the ABI days and so forth, and, and also make some new ones. But, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go back a little here, right? So in September, you guys announced uh, a new high speed sequencing device, you're calling the Novaseq X series. And the data that the, your CEO, Francis D'Souza, shared at the launch event was that the machine can sequence an entire genome in 12 hours for $200 and is capable of two and a half times the throughput of any of the prior sequencers. And so this is a big advance in my mind. Um, and I feel like I've been living through these advances now for quite some time. But but I'm wondering, like, if you can put uh, it into context, say, for non-experts or, and people who may be, who may not follow the world of high throughput gene sequencing that are listening, like, can you start by just explaining, you know, 
What does a gene sequencer do? What goes on inside the machine, et cetera? Yeah, sure, Harry. And, and it was very exciting at the Illumina Genomics Forum to announce the launch of the NovaSeq X, which is our highest throughput, our fastest, most reliable, most um, accurate sequencer yet. And what sequencers do is they decode the human genome. Uh, they decode any organism genome, SARS-CoV-2's genome. And we're seeing, you know, millions of SARS-CoV-2 genomes being submitted to the public domain so we can track that virus and track the pandemic and the emergence of variants. But what sequencers do at a basic level is they read the genome, you know, one base at a time, an A, a G, a T, or a C. That is the code of genetics, those four bases. And uh, the challenge is there's a lot of those bases. Uh, in the human genome, we have 3 billion bases lined up. And uh, our sequencers will take a genome. Uh, and before uh, putting the genome onto the sequencer, you have to break it up into little pieces. And then we, through uh, a combination of chemistry and optical scanning, we read those bases at about 150 uh, read lengths at a time. So 100 uh, strings of 150. And then on the sequencer now we have a uh, processor called the Dragon processor that uh, takes those 150 base, base reads and aligns them to the human genome and to each other. And after all that aligning, you end up with a consensus copy of whatever genome you put in. And this used to take weeks, <laughs> uh, months even, uh, to sequence that many bases and to get to the human genome. Uh, it used to take millions of dollars. Uh, with the announcement uh, uh, just a few weeks ago of the NovaSeq X, it takes less than 24 hours and it costs about $200. And so now we can all have access to our genomic code that is foundational to our health uh, for $200 of cost of sequencing um, in less in just over a day. And that's super exciting for me as a physician scientist and someone who's always worked to bring genomic insights into the care of patients. It just opens up a whole new level of possibilities in healthcare. So, I mean, I just want to give people relevance of progress here, because I think we've beaten the pants off Moore's Law. Um, but, you know, what would have been, say, the cost and the time requirement to sequence a full genome, say, 20 years ago? I remember almost how expensive it was. It was ridiculous. Um, yeah. And 10 years ago and five years ago. Can you put that into context for people? Yeah. So 20 years ago, that was, you know, just after the completion of the first human genome, the big race between Solera and the NIH with, you know, Eric Lander, Francis Collins, and the teams working very hard, it's estimated that cost anywhere between 200 and $300 million uh, for that first human genome. Um, 10 years ago, we had made a lot of promise. The, the sequencers were getting better. Um, we were still at a considerable sum, probably to the tune of between ten and twenty thousand dollars. So big, big, big improvement, but still, you know, not really practical for use in a healthcare setting. Just too much of an expense burden, and it took a long time. And the software to assemble it was, uh, you know, we didn't even have the speed of processors, uh, with few rare exceptions, to crank through that much data efficiently. So as uh, sequencers, so five years ago, I think we hit the about the, the two to $3,000. Uh, three years ago, we got to 600. Two years ago, we got to 600. And then this year to 200. And, you know, we do talk about Moore's Law and, and the, that price did drop faster than Moore's Law. But I, I think Moore's Law is important because we wouldn't be able to do it within 24 hours if we weren't benefiting from Moore's Law and having computing improve so much um, over the same time period. Oh, yeah. I remember when we launched, you know, the 3700, which was the workhorse of the original, you know, the, the first human genome, total human genome is it, had they not released a new chip from Intel, we couldn't have had that thing run 72 hours unattended. That's right. So That's we, right. we're dependent on Moore's Law doing well. <laughs> we are, indeed. indeed. So 
so again, you know, and I and I sort of have to ask this because I'm I'm sort of uh, you know my friends and I will always argue over the iPhone 13 versus the iPhone 14. Like, how much of an improvement is this machine compared to, you know, the top of the line sequencer that came before it? Is it incremental or is it really like you know that that big leap that we like to see from a innovation perspective? Yeah, so the NovaSeq X and and um, Francis mapped this out at the at IGF. Um, you know, it it can generate you know over a year twenty thousand whole genomes, and it's two and a half uh, times uh, has two and a half times the throughput, and it's twice as fast. And you know, I think that if you look at the workflow. A lot of times that may seem to some people saying, well, it's not tenfold, right? It's not a log. It's log base two, but, you know, it's not log base 10. Twice as fast and with that kind of throughput really compresses the workflow of a whole genome at scale to the workflow of a clinical lab, which, you know, has to kind of keep pace with turnaround time expectations. Um, And that 24-hour period to get to the whole genome and whole genomes at scale really fits into the workflow of a clinical laboratory where things can get set up in the morning, run, ready by the next day, the analysis, the report can go out late the next day, right? And that's that's kind of getting to turnaround time expectations uh, that are now reasonable to work in. So that's, that's the incredible importance. Now, what that doesn't, and that's very impressive, high level stats but what it doesn't uh let you know get into is the what we had to do to to realize that benefit and that means new optics new flow cell surface chemistry new enzymatic chemistry we redesigned the enzymes involved in sequencing by synthesize and we put the dragon server on the on the in the integrated it in into the sequencer so we could have real-time informatics processing the sequencing data as soon as it's complete with each run and each cycle. So all that working together got to the realization of that kind of improve in and th- output and increase in time. So historically, you know, there's a lot of people that were always throwing around the $100 genome, right? I mean, I can remember we've been talking about the $100 genome, but I feel like forever. Like, you know... Um, it's almost like Nicholas Negroponte's, you know, $100 laptop sort of thing, which actually never really happened, right? Do you think we're not far off from that magic $100 number? Well, yeah, we're not very far at all. Um, and, and certainly there's, uh, there's a path to get there over the next few years. And, you know, there's a path to get there with scale and continued scale. So I think we're there. Quite frankly, Harry, I don't, you know, I'm as a physician scientist. I don't think there's anything that magical about a hundred dollars. It's a it's a nice number. It's certainly a nice. You know, we did see the impact of pricing had on, for example, consumer genomics when Twenty Three and Me brought their price of their um, genotyping test down below $100, their market took off. So, you know, it can have impact on how many people want to order it and can order it, but. You know, the at two hundred dollars for a whole genome, that kind of cost of sequencing fits within reimbursement for many genetic tests. You know, right, right now, labs can be reimbursed, you know, several hundred dollars for a single gene, Harry. A single gene, right? Uh, labs can be reimbursed uh, thirty five hundred dollars for five hundred genes, right? And now we're talking about for the whole genome to fit within that, right? So so the cost now is such that um, when there is value to information in that genome for patients, such as cardiovascular disease, have you inherited a gene that makes you more prone to having early cardiac death? Um, For cancer, are you at increased risk of cancer? Um, For, um, you know, diabetes uh, and... uh, we think about cancer genomes and understanding if someone Mm -hmm. has a cancer that is more going to respond to a specific targeted therapy, you know, that information can now, the cost of accessing that information has now dropped well below 
the price that those tests are usually reimbursed at. And that opens the opportunity for clinical labs to provide this and have you know resources to have a sustainable business. Yeah, I mean, that was going to be one of my next questions, which was, you know, someday soon, you know, do you just see doctors ordering a genomic screen for almost any condition linked to some sort of genetic variation? Well, I think that happens over time and it will happen in higher risk populations. So right now where whole genomes has been shown to be best for uh, individuals and best for healthcare systems are children born suspected of genetic disease. You know, pioneering work at Rady's Children's Hospital, Stephen Kingsmore and others have shown you can do a whole genome within 24 hours of birth. And that information provides a definitive diagnosis between 30 and 50% of the time and management for those children changes between about 30 and 50% of the time. And it improves outcomes. Not only that, as opposed to what has traditionally been done, which is no testing until much later, right. that immediate whole genome saves healthcare systems a dollar. So you take better care of the patient, you have better outcomes, and the healthcare systems saves resources. And that's the quadruple aim you, you hear about in today's healthcare world, where you want a better patient outcomes, you want a better physician experience, you want better uh, outcomes and you want better, you know, we want to find healthcare efficiencies because our systems are so strained. So, you know, going to one of the, you know, technically the rate limiter, right, is how many doctors know what to do with the results of a genome screen? I mean, you know, in other words, like, is the healthcare world getting better at using this information? Yeah, I think more and more. So right now, Harry, I'd say very few doctors could handle a whole genome right? I couldn't handle a whole genome as a practicing oncologist. And I work at Illumina, right? I'm chief medical officer. Here. Like, I'd probably do better than most, but, you know, it's a lot of information. So what we're finding, though, is in different areas, doctors are becoming more understanding of the importance of genetic determinants of disease. So, right, disease has multiple determinants. There's social determinants, which are massive now. There are uh, behavioral determinants, environmental determinants, you know, with the disruption of the environment, and there's genetic determinants. And so to really understand what's happening in a patient, you have to understand the full context, and genetics are increasingly being part of that. So if someone's diagnosed with cancer early, very often they are being um, tested for cancer-causing ca genes like BRCA1, BRCA2, and women with early ovarian or early breast cancer. That's becoming more, people are more aware of that. In early cardiovascular events, people, you know, cardiologists are more aware of the hypocholesterolemia genes. If they have a cardiomyopathy or a arrhythmia, there's more awareness, there's more ordering. In some situations, there's also more awareness of the importance of something called pharmacogenomics, where we all have different abilities to metabolize drugs. That's absolutely measurable with a whole genome or a panel. And it has major impact on which drug you should get if you have, for example, mental health disease depression, bipolar, uh, or if you have need pain medications to control pain. Um, and more and more physicians are asking the questions as far as what are the pharmacogenomics of this person so that I can prescribe the right medicine to get them as relief as quickly as possible, as effectively as possible. And so you see windows of where testing is being integrated. The genetic determinants of disease and management are being integrated in the care but it's more piecemeal right now, Harry. We haven't seen yeah. a kind of holistic embrace of integration of that information into the healthcare system with decision support so that that kind of holistic picture of the individual can take in. That's going to take more time. And it does take exactly that full integration into the workflow of, an, of, a, of a very busy healthcare practice sure be they a physician a nurse a pa a genetic counselor uh time is probably the most limited resource for healthcare providers right now and unless we integrate it into their workflow it's just not going to be information that's utilized yeah i mean if i think about how long i've been talking about this or working on this and how long <laughs> it's taking like i'm like ah, it takes a little longer than you may anticipate right to get this <laughs> off the ground but i i want to sort of just for everybody that's listening right so just to state the obvious, right? These machines can sequence any genome. So not just a human genome. And so it keeps getting faster and cheaper to sequence the genome as a, of, as you said, viruses, bacteria, crops, you know, 
uh, yep. non-human animals. So what are the research implications of getting the cost of whole genome sequencing that low? What, what, what possibilities does it open for different fields like epidemiology or the study of DNA from extinct species, you know, going back to George yeah. Church, right? Yeah. I know there are many implications, but are there any yeah. that you're like, you hear about and you're like, oh my God, that is so cool and really exciting. Well, let's break it down. Let's talk about the human impact and we can go into other species and then go into the agriculture, right? So, you know, for humans, we have, you know, sequenced a considerable number of human genomes, probably well over, you know, two to three million. Um, but vast majority are Northern European. And we just haven't, we do not have a complete understanding of the full diversity of what the human genome truly represents. Um, you think about the Northern European uh, ancestry, they were from the Africa diaspora, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. Uh, and, um, and they, you know, it's estimated about 3% of human diversity at the time left Africa, right? <laughs> and so we, and we have, you know, very few, uh, an inadequate number of genomes uh, being performed in Africa uh, on, uh, you know, communities in Africa. We have too little across the entire globe, Latin America, Southeast Asia, South Asia. Um, and when the, as the price is coming down, and really importantly, with the Novaseek X, we now have ambient ship, which, you know, some people may say, you know, yeah, that's great. You don't need dry ice. Well, you know, if you're going to open up sequencing and start informing, you know, uh, pulling, uh, understanding the information in the human genome that represent all humans and the diversity of human beings, you're going to have to get those sequencers working in areas that have trouble with cold chain. And that's where Novaseek X now can do that. So rather than 100 pounds of packaging for each run and, you know, several tons of dry ice over the each year it's ambient ship and a 10 pound box that we ship and so you know these kind of the decreased cost the ambient ship will open that up and we will start to see more human genomes more representative of the human race and um representing the beautiful diversity we have and we'll get to more insights that way that kind of those advantages will also be applied to animal husbandry to find, um, you know, what traits in different livestock uh, help with things like efficiency, decreased methane gas production uh, and um, and, you know, uh, ability to, you know, um, be more resistant to disease without having to do genetic modifications, right? There's a lot of communities that are just not open to genetic modifications, but we've been doing animal husbandry where we select for traits that are observable for, you know, tens of thousands of years. Right. Um, this just speeds up the process where you can use genetic information to select for, uh, you know, uh, individual animals that have the characteristics that are optimized for the environment in which they will be living and growing. Um, and just one on the agricultural side, you can do the same things for crops. In fact, we're supporting a, a yam project in Southeast Asia where, you know, yams are a major staple. And with the evolving climate, they ha we have to understand, you know, what, how do you select for yams that are maybe a little more drought tolerant, more flood tolerant, uh, higher salinity, lower salinity, higher CO2, you know, all those different characteristics, um, because that's a major staple for both calories and, uh, and to sustain uh, large portions of the population. And now sequencing can be applied for that. So throughout all of, uh, you know, from humans to, to yams, uh, sequencing is important. Let's pause the conversation for a minute to talk about one small but important thing you can do to help keep the podcast going, and that's leave a rating and review for the show on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is open Apple Podcast app on your smartphone, search for The Harry Glorickian Show, and scroll down to the ratings and review section. Tap the stars to rate the show, and then tap the link that says write a review to leave your comments. It'll only take 30 seconds but you'll be doing a lot to help other listeners discover the show. And one more thing. If you like the interviews we do here on the show, I know you'll like my new book, 
the future you, how artificial intelligence can help you get healthier, stress less, and live longer. It's a friendly and accessible tour of all the ways today's information technologies are helping us diagnose disease faster, treat them more precisely, and create personalized diet and exercise programs to prevent them in the first place. The book is now available in print and ebook formats. Just go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble and search for The Future You by Harry Glorickian. And now, back to the show. You know, just to twist it a little bit, and, and you know, we always want to talk about AI and machine learning and how all of this contributes to, to all these areas that we talk about on the show. But last week, you guys announced uh, a new research collaboration with AstraZeneca, where you're testing whether it would be helpful to combine the two companies' AI tools. If I was reading into the what I read correctly, right? There's always, not everything is always, you know, announced, but can you help listeners get their head around why AI would be the first important, you know, at all for the company, yeah, sure. you know? Well, absolutely. Because well, anytime you're starting to generate massive amounts of data to find the true information in that data, takes advanced analytics and that, you know, of which artificial intelligence is uh, a major and a growing part of those advanced analytics. Um, you know, in 2021, we estimate about, uh, what is it, 260 petabytes were generated on our sequencing. Just to give your listeners a uh, relative, that's 2.5 times the entire Netflix um, archive. Um, so it generated in one year on our sequencers. And so, and in that information, you have to find in that data, you have to find the true information. And so artificial intelligence is one way where you can train to look for specific patterns. And then a lot of times what has, what you're looking for is where an individual's genome with a an individual with a specific phenotype, like a response to a drug or a risk for a cancer. Um, has a variant that is associated with that risk. Um, and, and so what we've done is embrace the fact that uh, the genome is, is vast and large to use uh, different artificial intelligence training to look at variants in areas that are non-coding around splice variants, uh, splice junctions in the genome, which is a, a regulatory space in the human genome. We've also used evolution in primates to train a model, an artificial intelligence model, because if a variant that is similar in humans and primates has existed in primates for a million years without any selection pressure, chances are it's not very important, right? To go through a million years of evolutionary selection and not be deselected or uh, in a positive or be selected positively or negatively, it's probably not doing anything. And so we've used that kind of training to start winnowing through all the variants that are found in whole genomes to find those, to, to move a big, as big a proportion of those that are found into the insignificant pile as possible. And that's, those are just two examples, Splice AI and Prime AI that our team at Illumina have developed and AstraZeneca have also developed different trained models. And what we're doing now is as we work to have more genomes on you know, patients that have been on trials that have had a response or did not respond to specific therapies, you can leverage that information um, in a way that protects the patient identification and, and, and confidentiality, but you're looking for associations between variants and response to specific therapies or variants and the potential to respond to novel uh, therapeutic targets. And that's where a lot of people are really excited because we're now getting enough whole genomes and enough really structured uh, phenotypic data on, on uh, subjects and patients so that we can look for those new medicines that'll you know be life-changing for patients with cancer, cardiovascular disease, uh, neurologic diseases, um, or diabetic uh, metabolic diseases. Yeah, so you've got both of these companies sort of working together. I mean, as you said, you've got Primate AI and Splice AI, and they are, I think, contributing something called Jarvis, which is interesting because you want to think Iron Man when you hear that. And then something <laughs> called MTR, which is my sense tolerance ratio, right? But 
what is the in your mind so what is the the bigger picture here because i feel like i feel like we're headed towards maybe a cusp of big advances in computer aided drug design as well and you know is there a lot of value to be unlocked by connecting these algorithms and tools that are right now maybe siloed in these different companies yeah you know we all you know we all have to make our decisions on what we prioritize as far as our r&d and I, I think my experience in academic medicine um, and my experience in industry both is that when you find a path to chew collaboration um, and bring your R&D teams together, um, the value to, you know, uh, the, the world in academia is to discovery and insight and to shareholders in industry is, is, is multiplied. Um, and that's what, you know, and, and you can't always do that. Um, you have to have an aligned, uh, you know, you have to have complementarity and an aligned sense of purpose. But when it can happen, it's it's much uh, stronger. And I think specifically in therapeutics, you know, we're seeing some really exciting, we've seen, a, you know, we've seen, for example, in cancer. So we've seen uh, a, American Cancer Society has put out the facts that the mortality due to cancer is continues to decrease because of advances in prevention, earlier diagnosis, and treatment. And a lot of the treatment advances has been to understand the genetics of someone's cancer and use targeted therapy or, uh, or immunotherapy. Um, the next step that we're seeing that's quite exciting is more bespoke approaches where you're not only you're not using something off the shelf, but for example, Moderna, who developed the mRNA vaccine, one of the mRNA vaccines for COVID, has an mRNA vaccine for cancer, where you take 30 of these variants that an individual's tumor has, and you put that in the same type of vaccine, and you train the immune system to target their specific tumor. So you know it's a programmable vaccine based on that individual. That's the kind of opportunity you now have when you can do a whole tumor, uh, whole genome, find 30 variants that are expressed, that are expressed in a way the immune system has a chance to respond to. You program that into the, into the uh, mRNA vaccine, just like they program the spike protein <laughs> sequence into the mRNA vaccine for COVID. And you give that to a patient and they already have trials going on. Uh, it looked um, it looked really promising in head and neck cancer. They're moving forward with other cancers and should have some readouts over the next uh, next year. So um, so that's just one example where you see coming together therapies and sequencing coming together to have individual successes. Um, uh, in, that's not science fiction. It's happening right now. And it's funny because people always ask me, like, why are you so excited about this? Mix? I'm like, are you kidding me? You have no idea. Um, but, you know, now you mentioned therapeutics, but, you know, this is a great segue into, you know, one of the areas that that I've always grown up with, which is the diagnostics, but talking about, you know, cancer screening, right? So in August of 2021, right, Illumina completed the acquisition of Grail. Now, I know you guys are waiting for the whole European for them to make up their minds. But um, Grail is a developer of a blood test for cancers, right? You mm -hmm. Now yeah. you operated as a separate company while you know the acquisition is still working through its thing. But at this point, I imagine Grail's technologies, uh, you, gotta, I, you can't be doing this in a vacuum. I think I was trying to read uh, some of the comments that uh, Francis had made uh, on this and, and, you know, it's sort of, they may not be successful without the resources that you guys are bringing and vice versa, but can you describe to people that are listening, what exactly does Grail do? I mean, I know they have a test called gallery that can report and detect 50 types of cancers from a single blood draw, but I'd love to hear you explain how it works. Sure. Um, yeah, thanks, Harry. And and yes, we have acquired Grail, and yes, we're holding them separate. So I don't know anything that's outside of public domain, <laughs> um, but I do know that, and I know that keenly. Um, and uh, and Grail has developed a test using sequencing, using Illumina sequencing technology, and what what it's based on 
is the observation that was made about 15 years ago that when an individual has cancer, that cancer, we've known for decades that cancer recruits vasculature system, and we know cancers have cell division. They multiply cancer cells, but they also die. Um, they just multiply more than they die, which is the problem and why you get a tumor. When they die, they sh they break apart. And when they break apart, their DNA fragments and it gets into the circulation. And so each of us in our blood, we have, you know, we have blood cells, we have immune cells, um, but we also have fragments of DNA. Now, most of that, that DNA is from normal cells that turn over and die and your kidneys get rid of it. And it, it's not a problem. Um, but what we know is that for patients with cancer, you can sequence the cell-free DNA, which is what it's called, and you can find changes that are consistent with the presence of cancer. And, and that's being used right now by companies like Garden Foundation Health and others <clears throat> to help with treatment decisions. So if you can't get a piece of someone's tumor, you can do a blood test. And sometimes you can find changes that you can target with drugs from the tumor circulating in their blood. Well, we were doing testing at Illumina for a different indication for uh, for pregnant women who are pregnant and wanted to know if their children were at risk, their fetus was at risk for any of the common genetic abnormalities, common trisomies like Down syndrome. <clears throat> they get a blood test about 10 to 12 weeks of pregnancy. About 10 out of 10,000 women had really crazy changes in that cell-free DNA incompatible with life for the fetus. And what they had is they had cancer. And and what Grail did over the past seven years is they took that initial finding and they did studies with major cancer centers to show that, in fact, in the blood, if you look at circulating cell-free DNA, you can detect the presence of, as you said, up to 50 cancers earlier than could be diagnosed otherwise. And, and so they've done a number of trials involving over 140,000 patients already um, to to find that signal and develop into a test called the gallery. I've had the gallery. Uh, we offer it at Illumina as a self-insured employer. Yeah. Luckily, no cancer signal detected. And more and more, we'll see adoption of that. Then it breaks the mold. So for the past multiple uh, years, we've uh, decades, we've been developing screening tests one disease at a time. And so we have colon cancer, cervical cancer, breast cancer, um, uh, uh, and lung cancer and prostate cancer. You know, the Nordic study just read out last week on colonoscopy and colon cancer. It took 63,000 participants. It took over 15 years and it did show a decrease in the diagnosis of colorectal cancer. There was some debate over whether it improved colon cancer-specific survival. I actually believe the evidence does support that if you look at it. And But we can't do it one at a time. So these tests that have been developed now are multi-cancer early detection. Right. You're not taking one. You're looking. It breaks the mold. There's a lot of frustration and some downright anger uh, from those steeped in screening because it's such a transformative approach. And we need to do the studies. But so far, the studies have shown you know, very strong performance. And over time, we'll understand whether these tests can improve mortality. That's the gold standard, cancer-specific mortality. It's going to right. take another decade to see that, but the studies are underway. And in the meantime, we'll get more and more evidence whether these studies in decrease the the stage at which cancers are diagnosed, meaning do you, do you diagnose them at stage one or two rather than three or four? Three or four, they're treatable, but seldom curable. Stage one and two, you can be cured with, you know, oftentimes cured with surgery and or radiation. Are we curing more people? We'll see that earlier on. And eventually, I have confidence there will be translation to improve disease-specific mortality. But it's, it is transformative. And we're not going to get to, I, I don't think we'll get to a successful moonshot of having the mortality of cancer in the next 25 years, as, as, as outlined by uh, President Biden, unless we, we do these studies and start to see meaningful adoption of tests like this. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it was uh, nine or 10 years ago, like I, I remember writing up a uh, piece and published it in Gen, basically saying, you know, not far away, not too long from now, you know, you, we're going to have a blood test and people are going to joke about this cancer thing because we're going to make it sort of go away. Now, of course, it always takes longer than, than we all think. But 
but you know why did why do you think it made sense for uh illuminate a bride by grail and you know what can grail do with illuminate help that maybe wouldn't have been possible before well and and um, this is all stuff that you guys have talked about publicly yeah, but just yeah. sort of you know for people who are listening you know i i think illumina we have a we're a global company right we have you know 21,000 sequencers across the globe 14 about 14,000 unique customers um across the range of high and, and low throughput to support those customers. We have commercial operations. We have regulatory uh, groups uh, and we've have over a thousand product registrations across the globe um, in over 44 different countries. We've gone through with regulatory approvals. So, and uh, we also have incredible experience in uh, reimbursement because for these tests to be meaningfully available, they have to be covered. Not everybody can afford them without insurance. So we have incredible commercial kind of commercial capability, support capability, regulatory capability and um, reimbursement uh, experience to help bring this test globally. So as the, as the as the data matures, uh, as more and more people and healthcare systems see the benefit, um, you know we're really well poised to support Grail and and have this um, this test become available faster uh, than it would otherwise. And that's that was the premise of why we brought them back. Right, we spun out Grail because they needed five years plus of intense focus and investment to see if they could go from an initial observation in you know five to ten women to a true product they've done that with those studies we brought them back in so they could benefit from the scale and the size of Illumina to be successful you know the biggest concerns is would we stop other companies from developing MSEDs and we've put a supply agreement out there we've in the past we we did this with NIPT and we were able to support a very uh, competitive and pro-competitive environment where there are now multiple different providers of NIPT tests, uh, and uh, we can do it again uh, for multi-cancer early detection tests. And we've put out, you know, made made uh, some commitments to make sure of that. So uh, the long and short of it is, Harry, we felt like we could speed uh, the impact of this amazing type of test uh, on patients uh, globally and on communities globally, while at the same time, we know we can foster a very competitive and, um, you know, market in the screening, cancer screening. So how do you, how do we take your progress on lowering the cost and increasing the speed of genome sequencing back to Grail's business? And then what could they do, right? What could Grail do if all their machines were I don't know, NovaSeq X's. Yeah. So um, first of all, you know, what we've promised is that Grail will have access to our emerging technologies, just like any other company that wants to participate in screening. So there's not going to be any, uh, you know, any special privilege afforded to Grail by being part of Illumina. They'll get access to new NovaSeq X, just like all our other customers, uh, including those who are or want to move into this screening um, business. Um, what I didn't mention is in order to detect that signal, you know, you can imagine you have a lot of cells, you have trillions of cells in your body, and you want to can you want to detect a cancer that may be, you know, a million cells, and only if you know, a small proportion of which are dying and shedding CDNA. So the DNA signal in that cell free DNA is pretty pretty uh, low volume, let's say that. And to, to detect it, you have to do a lot of sequencing. And without dropping the cost of sequencing like we've had, it there wouldn't be a viable path to create a test at a price that could actually be considered in healthcare systems. But now we've gotten to that threshold. So what, what it means is that um, commercial laboratories who want to develop a screening test now can sequence at a cost that will fit within a price that will be successful on the market and have the impact uh, that it that I anticipate it'll have in community so that that it really opens up the possibility for these tests the fact that we've brought the sequencing price down yeah I mean I have this conversation with my friends all the time I mean we're getting to a point where the sequencing cost is I mean, in, in the grand scheme of things, a rounding error, like, I mean, it's really, 
you know, we can always bring it down further through more advancements, but we're at the point where that should not be the barrier to moving forward. Right now, I know uh -huh. that interpretation can be expensive, um, but the cost of actually doing it should not be a barrier anymore. Yeah. And I think that's that. I, I think that's right. And if you talk to laboratories performing clinical laboratories, performing whole genomes, they're always going to be happier with lower cost sequencing, Harry. You know that. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. But if you ask them, well, if you look at where your spend is in your, you know, cost of goods, uh, COGS, increasingly it is on the back end interpretation. And that's where, you know, by putting, you know, Dragon on the sequencer and getting to, you know, getting from primary sequence to variance, second, doing that, what we call secondary analysis. Primary analysis is the actual sequencing. Secondary analysis is going from the code you're, you're reading to the variance, the changes that you're finding for that sample. While, you know, on the sequencer helps speed that and decrease the cost there cost of storage, cost of, you know, the bandwidth you need to get the data off the, the sequencer. And then with the artificial intelligence and other applied analytics we're using, we're hoping to speed and decrease the cost of the interpretation too. So uh, we're focusing it all at the full cost of sequencing from, you know, library prep, which is getting better and better sequencing, which we've talked about the $200 now for whole genome and the interpretation. You have to look at all of it. And you're right, in the clinical world, that interpretation right now is where probably there, there there's definitely more cost than on the sequencing side for most tests. Yeah. I mean, what most people don't understand is we're on, we're always playing whack-a-mole, right? Because yes, I solved this, but you know, now I got to work on this one. And, and it's, you can, you can never make as much progress across all of them as you'd like, because you just need different tools sometimes in, in each one of these different areas that you need to move forward. And then at some point, you really need to explain it to the physicians and everybody else, because they, you gotta, they gotta sort of keep up to a certain extent to what you're doing. And that's not trivial either. Yeah, no, I look at it as impedance matching, right? Like, and as soon as you decrease, you know, the, friction in one area, you're going to discover it in another area, right? right. So last two weeks ago at Illuminate Genomic Forum, we announced the NovaSeq X, the $200 genome. You know, that reduced the friction there. And now it's immediately interpretation or, you know, and we'll, yeah. try, you know, so you know, the friction point changes based on, you know, the A, uh, I'd say asynchronous breakthroughs that occur across the sample to answer solutions, right? And that's what really physicians want. They want to order, send a sample, get an answer that changes the management and improves outcomes for their patients. And that's what we're working on is not only the different pieces, the library prep, the sequencing, the computation, but that, you know, how do you pull all those together, sample the answer so that physician at the end of the day, they don't really care if it's a NovaSeq X, Harry. I, you know, as much as that hurts us at Illumina, they want... <laughs> they, Just give me the answer they, so I can do my job, right? That's all they, they care about. the answer as quickly as possible, as accurately as possible, and with as, you know, the information that they need to take great care of that patient. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny. I, I, I guess in some ways, I mean, just being in this area forever, right, uh, from applied biosystems and so forth, maybe I'm biased, but, you know, when I think about how sequencing affects, you know, the human condition, how it affects every other, you know, plant, crop, animal, et cetera, and the work that we can do there, how it affects us in, you know, uh, surveillance for pandemics, et cetera. I, I just, you know, this is such a foundational technology that on a global basis, if it's not in place, I don't know how a country or, you know, uh, uh, an industry goes forward anymore and maybe like i said maybe i'm biased but yeah i just don't see how it's possible well abi was a, a storied place and certainly we owe a lot to the yourself and individuals at abi who kind of supported the first human genome project and um and also has now populated pretty much the entire genomic uh, world. It's hard not to have a leader from ABI in some part of genomics <laughs> if you're at a company. <laughs> or, um, 
But what I will say is, yeah, I think there's growing recognition that, you know, and we've, we're meeting with health ministries, finance ministries, um, who really see this as becoming part of the fabric of, of their countries, um, for their communities. Um, that raises, you know, people are concerned to make sure they have access to new technologies for health. Um, as we talked about for agriculture, uh, they also see this as an opportunity for intellectual development and really, um, you know, kind of the development of an industry in country uh, mm -hmm. through sequencing and participating in the knowledge based industries. Um, and people are also getting more concerned about security, right, because there's so much information there. How do you protect your communities? And so that's becoming more and more. And I do want to walk back a little bit. I said, you know, pretty um tongue-in-cheek that people don't really care about their sequence what the sequencer is i think that's true i don't think it should be true i, I actually think it is actually very important what technologies are used to sequence for reliability for uh you know trust in that the data is handled uh, you know uh, with the right security in mind and i do anticipate in the future as this becomes more common people will start to look for you know, what is this report powered by? Is it powered mm -hmm. by an Illumina sequencer? And they should feel much, very confident if it is that they have, um, you know, that they were, you know, that test was based on the best and most secure technology, uh, sequencing technology available. Well, Phil, as always, you know, eight was fantastic seeing you in person when we were together in San Diego. Yeah. Uh, and B, it's great to have you back on the show. Um, you know, I have a feeling we're going to every, you know, year or two, we're going to have to make this a regular thing because of the advances that are <laughs> happening. It's like, you know, they, they, they have fundamental, like huge impact on so many areas and, and half of them, honestly, we didn't even discuss because there's just not enough time. Yeah, no, Harry, always great to talk to you and uh, happy to happy to return. Always more to talk about for sure. Thank you. Excellent. All right. Excellent. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. You can find a full transcript of this episode, as well as the full archive of episodes of The Harry Glorikian Show and Moneyball Medicine at our website. Go to glorikian.com and click on the tab Podcasts. I'd also like to thank our listeners for boosting The Harry Glorikian Show into the top 3% of global podcasts. If you want to be sure to get every new episode of the show automatically, be sure to open Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast player and hit follow or subscribe. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we always love to hear from listeners on Twitter, where you can find me at hglorikian. Thanks for listening, stay healthy, and be sure to tune in two weeks from now for our next interview.